Hello and welcome to Failing Boldly, a podcast that invites people to share stories about failure, resilience, and perseverance. I'm Christian Kuhn, author of the book Failing Boldly and co-founder of Urban Village Church in Chicago. My guest this week is Caitlin Kirby. Caitlin will soon start as a science literacy researcher at the University of Nebraska, but the reason she was brought to my attention is because, of all things, something she wore. When Caitlin defended her PhD dissertation, she wore a skirt made out of rejection letters and emails that she had received during her graduate studies. Of course, I had to ask her about how rejection and failure played into this decision. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, Caitlin Kirby, thank you so much for being on the Failing Boldly podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Before we get into the article that uh, brought you to my attention. First, could you just say a little bit to our listeners uh, about your background and and what you're currently doing? Yeah, I am a PhD student right now at Michigan State University, and I study science education and environmental social sciences. And I am about to graduate and finish up my PhD and transition into a new role as a science literacy researcher at the University of Nebraska. Are you a Michigan native? I am. I'm from the Kalamazoo area. Okay. So did you grow up with a real interest in science or say a little bit how your interest in science came to be? Yeah, I kind of grew up with an interest in everything, which is, I think, why my my title is still so long in in the things that I research and I'm studying, um, and really refined that interest more during my undergraduate education. Okay, well, the somebody put uh, shared the article that you were highlighted in at the Lansing State Journal to me, and that's what kind of again brought you to my attention, uh, and when you were defending your dissertation at the dissertation committee, you decided to wear an interesting article of clothing. So I'll let you kind of describe uh, what that was. Yeah. So I showed up to my dissertation defense wearing a skirt made out of rejection letters that I had printed out that I had accumulated over the course of my graduate career. So what made you decide to go with that uh, fashion statement? Yeah, it was something that had sort of been on my mind for a while. Um, My advisor in our regular lab meetings, so we have a lab group with other graduate students and professors, um, and we would meet weekly, and she started having us share, um, in addition to sharing our accomplishments for the week, she started having more senior members of the group share rejections or failures that they had gotten for that week to start to normalize rejection uh, as part of the the academic process. And so I wanted to visually represent that somehow. Um, And I had seen other academics wear dresses that they had made out of posters that they'd presented throughout the course of their their graduate career. Um, So those ideas sort of merged in my mind and I came up with the rejection skirt idea. What was it like for your advisor, when your advisor was wanting you to check in with both accomplishments and rejections, was that easy or hard for you at first to be able to, to share both? Was that, I guess, was that process hard for you or did you, um, were you able to embrace it pretty quickly? Yeah, so it wasn't required for students to share their rejections, only professors or um, 
senior researchers. Okay. Um, and this didn't start, the, the rejection sharing didn't start until later in my graduate career. So I was pretty comfortable with it when it, when it happened, um, when we started sharing those pieces. But I think earlier in my graduate career, I definitely would have um, felt a little bit, um, I felt like I didn't want to focus on those things or didn't want to talk about or admit some of those things. Is that partly because I would, you know, in a graduate program, there is um, maybe some competition, but also just your the schoolwork is elevated to the point where you're it's it's a little more intense, and so you're only wanting to really focus on how am I doing well? Is that and that's part of it? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. So definitely, they can be competitive environments. My lab in particular was not, so I was lucky there. Um, but it, there is also definitely a transition. So my first couple of meetings as a graduate student in that lab space in general, I was feeling um, sort of inadequate or like I didn't even know how to contribute to those meetings. So it definitely would have been a lot harder at the beginning. Can you give us some examples of the kinds of rejection letters that made up your skirt? Yeah. Uh, so some of them were for scholarships or fellowships some of them were for conferences to present my work or some professional development conferences um, that were competitive. There were some that were for um, publications to journal articles. Um, and then some from the very beginning of my, my graduate career from other graduate programs that I didn't get into. And I read in the article, so there were 17, is that right? 17 letters that made up the skirt and that, th that you could have used more. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I, I had plenty more. Um, I tried to use the ones that were a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. So the ones that are a little <laughs> bit longer, a little bit more interesting to look at, um, maybe with some logos in there. But yeah, I had plenty more in my email. And then also I'm sure there are some over the years that I just deleted out of anger or, or frustration. So they weren't in there anymore. Can you share, so your own process when you're early in your graduate career and getting those uh, rejections and compare the emotions that you were feeling in those early rejections compared to later on in your academic career and did that change at all? Yeah, so there's definitely a feeling of disappointment, a little bit of anger, um, sadness at, at the loss of an opportunity maybe when you get a rejection letter. Um, and it has changed over time. A couple of things I've noticed, though, where it hasn't changed or maybe gotten to the point where it's as easy I would like as I would like it to be, um, is that, first of all, each new type of rejection is still pretty difficult. So, like, the first um, rejection for a, a journal publication is still pretty impactful, Whereas I've been rejected for so many scholarships that when I, when I get those now, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, and then the other thing is like, it still comes with all of those emotions, but it doesn't last quite as long anymore mm. now. What kept you going, especially in those early days when you were getting some of those rejections? I know I've talked to other people from various fields and I think no matter what one does for a living, there's a sense of imposter syndrome. And so wondering, do I really fit in here? Am I really cut out to do whatever it is that I'm doing? And so in those early days, did you have a sense of that? And then what kept you going beyond the rejection letters? 
Yeah. So as I said, in the early days, even just being at the lab meetings, you know, we would read through a paper and then critique it. And um, in the first few meetings, I remember being just kind of like overwhelmed of not knowing how to contribute, not really having anything to say, not knowing the process. Um, So there was some imposter syndrome there. Um, And then again, for every sort of first type of thing that I applied for it, it sort of came up again. Um, And then that has, um, yeah, the the things that kept me going, as I said, my advisor, um, Dr. Julie Labarkin, she really fostered a sense of celebrating accomplishments Mm -hmm. um, and a non-competitive space in our lab. So that was very helpful in that, you know, in addition to experiencing these issues, we are also able to celebrate all the all the small steps along the way. So that sense of community was really important in, in keeping me going. And then, of course, not everything was a rejection. So eventually something would get through and get accepted and, and the um, sort of rush from that would would help convince me to persevere as well. Yeah, having some occasional accomplishments help. <laughs> what was the response when you walked in? Did you well? Did the committee, dissertation committee, know what you were wearing when you walked in, and what was their response? I had mentioned it to my advisor, so she was the only one who had an idea that I might be doing this. Um, but everyone else definitely had curious looks on their faces as I walked in. Um, because, you know, it's not immediately obvious what the skirt was made out of. And so then when I announced that it was rejection letters, there's kind of like a drawback or like a um, sort of an aversion to it. Um, But then when I described the rationale behind it as a way to sort of normalize this as part of the process um, and to share, you know, when you write your dissertation defense, you want it to be very strong and clear and linear. Um, And so I wanted to show that that was not the whole story. Um, and so folks appreciated that as, as I explained it. Did that help you also? In fact, other people, friends of mine who have earned PhDs and I think one of the most intimidating things from what I've understand is, is to sit before that committee and defend all of this work that you've been doing. And so maybe did that help bring at least a little bit of levity to the situation too? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially as it, you know, crinkles and things as, as you move around. It's, <laughs> it's not the most serious garment. So I think it helped. Yeah. So I guess, did you successfully defend um, your dissertation? I did. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So do you just have a, a few more classes left and then you can officially become Dr. Kirby? Yeah, not even classes. It's more administrative things to tie up. I have to... Um, finish formatting the document and, and turn it in basically at this point. And then I also had a, a Fulbright fellowship that was sort of the, the bookend or the very um, final piece of my uh, degree. So. So you, before we started recording, you mentioned, and I think you also mentioned you'll be going off to university of Nebraska at Lincoln for postdoctoral uh, a postdoctoral research position and that you'll be teaching undergraduates how will you use some of the lessons that you learned from your own advisor and your grad studies in beginning to teach undergraduates? Yeah, so I try to be pretty open with my undergraduate students um, 
in a way that encourages them also to try and um, be okay with failure because that the process is really what it's about. Like um, a lot of science classes focus on science content as you know, is necessary for for young scientists and young students, but science itself is really a process and failure is an inherent part of that process. So I try to make sure that um, students have plenty of opportunities to engage in that process and plenty of opportunities to sort of refine their ideas and, and try things again and again so that assignments aren't necessarily like finalized until maybe the very end of the semester um, when students can really express all of their ideas together. Yeah. I'm curious to get your reflections too, especially in the last few weeks. It seems like scientists have really come to more of the forefront in who our society is listening to, whereas before, you know, celebrities would get a lot of mention or politicians or athletes or whomever, and now scientists seem to be coming to the forefront. So I'm curious about your own thoughts about that, especially as you think about teaching um, science literacy and what uh, this might, how this might shift what our society pays attention to, not just after whatever the new normal looks like for us, but then beyond that. Do you think that will shift at all for us? Yeah, um, I hope so. I mean, I think a lot of scientists feel that their work is very important. And I think I think there's a realization sort of on both ends here that folks, that people in general are um, in contact with scientists more than they've ever been, maybe seeing them on the news or through whatever sources they're getting. But also I think there are a lot of scientists realizing that there is this other piece where we really need to be intentional about how we communicate science and also how we teach science so that it's a little bit more accessible for people, so that it's easier for people to evaluate scientific claims um, and be able to integrate them into their lives. Yeah. Well, I usually end these conversations and I didn't give you a heads up about this. So uh, if you can't think of anything right away, maybe I can help you with this. I usually ask my guests to end by talking about a particular failure that they've had in their lives. And so if nothing is coming to mind immediately, what if do any of those letters that made up your skirt particularly stick out as one that was uh, particularly hard to receive? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I don't, I don't know if it's particularly one that was particularly hard to receive, but one that certainly, you know, shaped the future of my life a lot was the rejections from other graduate programs, which um, sort of, obviously had a had a play in deciding where I went to graduate school and, and what sort of program I ended up in. Um, and honestly, now I'm grateful for those rejections because I ended up in a, in a really good place um, in a really great program with a really great group of people. So even though it was very painful at the time, looking back on it, it's um, easy to say that that helped me make the right decision. That's a very healthy way of looking at it. I, when I, I applied to some journalism schools for master's degrees, and there were a couple that said no to me, and I still, there's a small part of me that harbors a little ill will <laughs> toward those institutions, and that's you know many years ago. So uh, kudos to you for having a healthy way of looking at it. Thank you. Well, Caitlin, Kirby, thank you so much uh, for your work, and thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. And that's this week's episode. 
Thanks again to Caitlin for speaking with me. You can follow Caitlin on Twitter at Kirby K, that's K-I-R-B-Y-C-A-I. I hope you will subscribe to this podcast either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as I put these out on the second and fourth Thursdays of the month. To find out more about my book and the ministry I'm a part of, you can go to my website, christiancoon.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.